The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Spend my dollar. It's not about what you want. It's about what you're willing to do to get it run it again hello and welcome i'm not going to so quit asking when you give me a hard time for the listeners that didn't get to go this is the payback Alabama wins. what you did last year really doesn't matter our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play hi hello and welcome to a hard truth edition of the alabama football podcast this is not a safe place for precious snowflakes as we will spare no sacred cows. Sorry, Travis, uh, who is a legit uh, Nick Saban of dairy farming. Today, Hard Truth is more than just a really good craft distillery in Nashville, Indiana. Today, Hard Truth is our currency of trade. You see, Truth says Alabama has lost two games this season to really big opponents on the road by a combined four points. Hard Truth says this team gets the yips at the side of a suitcase. Truth says this might be Saban's most talented team. Hard Truth says Alabama may have squandered the careers of two of the best players ever to wear crimson and white. Truth says mental health and player anxiety are important topics. Truth also says I got anxiety just reading about a player's typical day in Phil Savage's book, Fourth and Goal Every Day. Hard truth, says those who go on to become Navy SEALs, never ring the bell. Truth says Saban is the best recruiter ever. Hard truth, says the best defender on the field last night was freshman Harold Perkins. While Texas and Texas A&M both almost beat Alabama with several players the tide pursued. Truth says Saban is the goat. Hard truth says, well, I don't want to say anything I'm going to regret, uh, but stay, into the, uh, stay tuned to the end. Uh, I do have a couple of thoughts I'll, I'll uh, throw in. And uh, for now, let's kick the ball over to offense. On offense, you know, let's stick with the theme. Truth says Alabama won most of the stat, stat sheet. But say it with me, hard truth, Alabama lost on the scoreboard. Bryce Young, Alabama's Heisman winner, legend, and resident magician, with the broadest team-carrying shoulders in all of college football, played his worst game last night against LSU. It wasn't unforced errors, drops, like in the such and the like. This was hard truth, subpar play. Was it, uh, you know, the interception on the first possession? Alabama was moving the ball. Bryce was performing well. The offense was performing well. And Bryce, in in very Bryce at, Bryce-esque format, attempted sort of a – and it was a magical play. Uh, it was one of my favorite plays of the Tennessee game. He sprints towards the line of scrimmage, draws in the defense, and he threw the ball to Kamala, too, for a touchdown against Tennessee. It was a glorious, magical play. Uh, attempted a very similar play uh, against LSU – 
the trick is the defender was right in his face and he had to sort of sidearm the ball. Uh, it was a blind pass to the receiver, through behind the receiver, interception in the end zone. Every, every play after that, subsequently, the offense really seemed to struggle, uh, never really got into a rhythm. I don't know if mentally that sort of discombobulated Bryce. I, I don't think so, but maybe. I think maybe there was an injury. He did go down uh, in, a, in a very similar fashion to how he went down against Arkansas with, his, with the ball in his hand and outstretched and sort of landing on his chest and, and, and on his shoulder and his arm out and sort of the hit uh, that that takes. Maybe that had something to do with it. Maybe it was a limited practice time but there really appeared uh, to be a struggle with Bryce's accuracy all night. And, and I don't think it was the receivers. Uh, I think it was Bryce and his accuracies. I don't think that it was all necessarily them not being on the same page and expecting the receiver to zig when, and, uh, and he zags instead. It, it seemed to be reading the field and finding the open receiver uh, consistently and it just accuracy with his passes. That seemed to be – the um, that seemed to sort of be the, the mo. It's the first time watching Alabama against LSU. It was the first time in in the last couple of years watching Bryce play where I really got the sense that his height was a disadvantage. He seemed to always have the pressure right in his face. We talked about uh, earlier in the season. We talked about a gap pressure, even more so than the Texas game where that was really really a theme. Uh, LSU seemed to. The jumping, the height, getting the hand up really seemed to impact uh, Bryce. They did it very consistently, and it seemed to impact Bryce more than what we've seen. And so his height really – it's the first time I really watched Bryce play and say, he's not tall enough. He's struggling with these these taller uh, taller defenders. His height is really a factor working against him. Now, Bryce is a champion, right? We're not mad at Bryce. Bryce is a champion. Bryce had beautiful – improv uh plays uh the pass to jace uh for the the long uh, the long run that should have set up a touchdown but set up a field goal that was an incredible play and i don't think we've seen anything as beautiful as mind-bending unbelievable is his scramble into the line of scrimmage away from the line of scrimmage into a defender away from a defender around the corner to find your Corey brooks for a touchdown i legit leapt out of my seat um at that play. And it was the kind of play as an Alabama fan over the years is the kind of play that we think that just won the game for us. That sort of magic is going to spill over the rest of the plays, the rest of the afternoon, the rest of the day. And it didn't Bryce simply for all his magical powers, for all his athleticism, for as calm as a cucumber, as he is as a player, he can't do it alone. He can't do it all. And when repeatedly asked, to do it alone again and again and again. This is what you get. You get an outing like the LSU game where Bryce maybe isn't on the top of his game and everyone else, including those wearing crimson and white, are there to watch Bryce. They're not there to play. They're there to watch Bryce. That's what you get, the LSU game. Let's talk about wide receivers. Eight receivers call the passes. I think some of the perceived, we talked about this, some of the perceived accuracy issues could be wrong routes, not all of them. They weren't so blatantly. Uh, I think Bryce was just and was was just inaccurate with his passes. I think the offensive line, we'll talk about them. I think they contributed as well. Uh, Bryce was intentionally throwing passes in the dirt, sort of bounce pass in front of the 
the receivers to prevent from being uh, picked off. His numbers were sub 50%. Uh, I don't think we've ever seen, uh, I don't think we've ever seen that from Bryce. Uh, so again, I think the receivers probably could have helped a little bit, but I think I thought as a by and large, there was no heroic players from uh, plays from the wide receivers. Uh, there was no Mechie or, um, or Jambo from last year. Uh, but I thought as the whole, the receivers uh, played decent. This, to me, to me, my opinion only seemed to be more reflective uh, of the quarterback. And again, I think there might be some uh, some sort of latent uh, injury or the time away from practices impacting them. I don't think it's a skill set. I'm not mad at Bryce. I just think there's something, something there. Uh, Ja'Cory Brooks had seven catches for 97. And of course, that glorious uh, touchdown. Uh, we talked last week about you know, who's the number one wide receiver for Alabama? I, I think you got to go Ja'Cory Brooks. Jamar Gibbs, uh, we'll talk about him as a running back, but goodness, I think he's uh, just as valuable, if not more so, as a wide receiver. He had eight catches for 64. And Cam Latou, he's a player that we've talked about needing to find his role. Uh, he had three catches for 50 yards, uh, was targeted uh, maybe a couple other times or could have or should have been targeted. Other times he was certainly open. I'm going to give the biggest knock that I've got on Cam is that he's not physical uh, at the point of blocking, uh, certainly not at the point of attack. Blocking is not his strong suit. It doesn't have to be his strong suit, but I think his effort level, there was a play, uh, he came, he lined up on the left, was running to the right. Uh, he was basically pulling uh, to sort of do, deliver a kickout block, and he ran up to the guy, the, the guy that he was supposed to block, the defensive end that crashed down. He ran up to the defensive back, and then set his feet and then blocked. Whereas he should have just bulldozed. He should have ran through the uh, uh, the defensive end, not to him to put hands on him, but just run through him. And uh, and, I, and and that's that's an example of where Cam has an opportunity to improve his game. And his opportunity is is running out. Uh, he's a senior, and and he's. If he wants to get paid to play uh, ball on Sundays, um, he needs to put on film that that he can lay those uh, those crashing defensive ends out, that he can execute consistently uh, a block because he is a solid receiver, but he's not a game changing receiver. And so you don't put up with him not in, at the next level. We do at Alabama. We don't put up with him not being able to block because he brings so much to the offense. He needs to bring more. Uh, in the blocking and in the NFL, that certainly will, will be a requirement. Uh, so I love Cam Latou. Got to see him clean up uh, his game in that way. And this year I thought we'd see it and we didn't. And so I'm uh, a player that I really, really enjoy, really, really like disappointed about that, uh, that component uh, of his play running back position. We talked about Gibbs uh, is a receiver. He had 15 carries for 99 yards uh, as a running back. He had some really nice uh, runs. Uh, Roy Dale Williams, his numbers were not outstanding. He had seven carries for 11 yards, uh, but he had two touchdowns. And so he got uh, two sort of goal line situations. And then on the two-point conversion, Alabama ran the ball, and that was, uh, that was Roy Dale Williams again. So it's interesting. We talked about last week, oh, the rotation of running back seems to be mixed up a little bit. Roy Dale came in as a runner ahead of Jace, uh, and we saw that Saturday. And then uh, the physical short yardage situations uh, it was clearly uh, Roy Dell in, uh, in the play. Uh, Jace did get a couple of carries, uh, but Roy Dell had seven, so he's clearly the number two runner. Uh, I'm, I said this last week. I've said it before. 
And I'll say it again, uh, Jamarian Miller, Alabama has to figure out a way to get him carries. Uh, we need him invested in the balance of this season, but we need him invested in this season on the, on the way forward. We can't have him, uh, speaking of Jamarian, we can't have him enter the offseason thinking that he's buried in the depth chart. We've talked about it before. Jace is going to come back. Roydell is going to come back. I'm not sure about Trey uh, Sanders. Uh, and then there's going to be the incoming freshman that everyone's going to ex- get excited about. We don't need Jamarian Miller to think that he's going to be the odd uh, player out because I think he might be. Uh, I mean, Gibbs, Gibbs is clearly the most explosive wide receiver. Uh, if you if you pull away and look at the rest of them, Jamarian Miller might be uh, more talented than than any of them. And uh, he's got he's a guy that, we, that the tide needs to figure out how to get the ball in his hands. The offensive line, perhaps their worst game of the season. Uh, Seth McLaughlin started, which we called for. The offensive line plays better when he's in there. All this is true. Uh, his snaps uh, were erratic uh, a couple of times. He's good for maybe one of those every two games. He had two or three of them against LSU. I don't know if he's not fully back healthy. I did see him kind of get pushed around a little bit. He's a little light in the pants compared to uh, Dow Court and some of the other linemen. Uh, typically, you trade that off for what he brings in terms of settling down the offensive line. If that was the settled down version of the offensive line, I'd hate to see the unsettled version. Um, that's not me mad at Seth. That's me mad uh, at the offensive line as a whole. Uh, I want to go back. I mean, I don't want to go back, but I, I, I feel like I need to go back and watch the series with the offensive line play. I did not specifically see Tyler Booker play. Uh, I'll admit that I wasn't uh, sort of tracking was he in there, but he plays – he has played so much that you just inherently see him on the field, and he's sort of ingrained into the rotation that it's less about, oh, are we doing it again? Because we've been doing it since, you know, week three, uh, whatever it was. And and it, and then I just realized I've not seen Tyler Booker in the game. Is, is he playing? And so I want to go back and uh, triple-check that. It, it seems like, you know, when we were doing a two and then – uh, two series with him out and then two with him in and, and then it left and two at right. You know, he's playing was that four out of six series, right? With that type of, with that type of rotation. And so, you know, four out of six series uh, you expect that 60, what, what's the math, you know, 60%, 65% of the, the snaps, you just inherently expect to see him. And I don't have a, a recall of seeing him at all. So I don't know if that's an injury. I haven't seen anything published or, or written or, speculated in, the, in that regard, uh, but uh, it was quite curious not seeing him because he's been sort of a – at any rate, uh, Tyler Steen went out. Uh, I cursed my TV uh, when that happened. But Amari Kite came in, and uh, God bless Herb Street, but it's it's Kite, not Knight. Uh, but Amari Kite uh, came in, and the possession or the the drive that, uh, that he played, I thought he looked good, didn't look terrible. Um, and uh, – uh, but then Tyler was able to come back, so that's good. We'll figure out what the injury there is sort of this all, this off – it's not off week, but this week. And uh, hopefully Tyler's back to, to full strength. Not that Kite couldn't play, but, uh, you know, Tyler's a starter for a reason, so we always want to keep our best guys in. Uh, Kite's a, a guy that uh, I think for the future. Let's see. Uh, let's move forward. On a whole, uh, I'll say this. I thought the offense had their moments. However, there was no momentum. And there was no real rhythm on the offense. They were out there running plays, not out there running an offense. Uh, Alabama didn't have their uh, first touchdown until the fourth quarter. And so this offense looked 
nothing like it did against Tennessee, where there's a rhythm, we're methodically moving the ball, conversion on, you know, you know, converting on fourth downs is a joke because we're sometimes not even convert, needing to convert on third downs because uh, we're just rolling first, first down, first down, first down. That's what we saw against Tennessee. Did not see that at all uh, against LSU. Maybe one drive in there, but for all intents and purposes, not at all. Uh, there's a lot of talk and chatter about the two-point conversion, and uh, I think there's room to have this conversation. Uh, I think a two-point conversion sometimes is is more about the the math. Had Alabama, you know, kicked instead of gone for the two point uh, two point conversion that they didn't get and just got the extra one, then the last kick that Alabama had would have been for the lead and potentially the win as opposed to tie to send it to overtime. So I completely uh, understand that. I think there's situationally you go for two, and it's not just the sheet. You know, Dennis Franchoni was we look back and and we're not happy with him and what we feel that he did to Alabama. But there's one thing that he said as a coach that don't remember the game, don't remember the situation. And it was a third quarter, early fourth situation. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 455 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. And he was asked, you know, should you have gone for two there? What's your mindset on going for two there? And I liked his answer. It wasn't just about where the chart says this, and so you follow sort of the, the math on it without any additional thought. He said, you know, we were still in the point accumulation phase of the game. And so we weren't thinking about, you know, how many possessions were left and how many points are going to be scored and trying to maximize an end of game sort of last possession, last two possession sort of situation. And so he wasn't using the chart. He's just like, there's going to be a lot more points scored. And so we're going to take the the free one right here as opposed to effort for two. And there's a certain logic to that. And so when Alabama uh, elected to go for two instead of just the one, there was about 12 minutes left in the game. And so at some point, you know, you get eight minutes, seven minutes, five minutes, you start converting how many possessions are going to be left in this game. When there's 12 minutes, you can do that, but you can be way wrong. And so in 12 minutes, I think I would have kicked. And again, I'm not trying to play a result. I'm just saying at 12 minutes left in the game, uh, there's a lot of game left, left to be played. Uh, I would have kicked the I would have kicked the PAT and then and then gone on. I wouldn't have attempted to. Now, if we're talking about what would I have done in the way of attempt, I think going into halftime uh, with the fourth down situation, almost no time left uh, on the clock. I think would have gone to for a touchdown at that point, as opposed to uh, as opposed for settling uh, for the three. So there's a couple of things I would have done different that that maybe uh, I'm not a coach. I never would have gotten to that platform. Uh, nonetheless, a couple of things that we can talk about, you know, potentially uh, doing different. Uh, I do disagree with going for two when we did. 
And isn't it ironic that I'm referencing Fran uh, in support of my argument there? But there you have it. All right, let's flip the field and uh, talk defense. I think honestly, you know, calling it calling it as I saw it, I think the defense was victim of four three and outs by the offense. Uh, we talk about complementary football. Uh, you know, when you run the ball and you possess the ball and you eat a lot of clock, uh, you give your defense rest so they can be more aggressive. When you do a lot of three and outs, three downs and a punt, you give you put your defense back on the field uh, so much more quickly. And so Alabama had four three and outs on the day. Uh, three were consecutive uh, after after the interception in, to start the game. Alabama had three 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 and outs uh, on offense. And then in the second half, Alabama had its fourth three and out. And, and what hurt most about that one is Alabama offense went three and out after on the heels of LSU having an 11 play drive. And so after the defense getting off the field, and I have to go back and look, I think LSU scored. Uh, but after the, uh, after the defense getting a break, uh, after suffering through an 11 play LSU drive, uh, the offense went three and out and they were only on the field for 52 seconds. So the defense barely got a full breath uh, before they go back on uh, back on the field. So when we talk about the defense not playing as well in the, as in the second half as they did in the first, certainly there were adjustments uh, that LSU made. They out-adjusted, uh, call that out-coaching, the Alabama defense. But I think the offense had some contributory negligence in, uh, in that regard by putting the defense back on the field on a quick turn, a quick turn. Here's a minute, back on the field. Here's a minute, you're back on the field. Here's 52 seconds, you're back on the field just after having to defend uh, or attempt to defend an 11-play drop. I think that became cumulative in a negative way for the defense. Uh, but I'm not excusing the defense. Overall, the defense lacked physicality, uh, especially up front. The line struggled. Uh, this Alabama team absolutely misses Justin Aboibe. We've been talking about him, or we have uh, talked about him a couple of times, and we point to the irony. We've said this a couple of times. I forget the week, but we declared Justin Aboibe is about to explode. He's been playing very, very well. He's going to get an opportunity. We thought Byron Young was going to uh, was going to miss some time. He actually didn't miss any time. But we said Aboibe is going to come in, and because he's making at least one big play every week behind the line of scrimmage, the other side of the line of scrimmage is a tackle for a loss. It's, it's a sack or a near sack. And uh, he is about to explode, uh, given more opportunities. And then, boom, we recorded it probably – the day before he suffered a neck injury in practice, and he's going to miss the rest of uh, the rest of the season. So this Alabama team, this defense misses a Boyby, his leadership as well as his capability. Toa Toa, you know, we're going to talk about get tr- talk about truths and hard truths again. Toa Toa uh, had a sack and a TFL tackle for loss. He also got run over by the uh, by the running back as he was plugging the hole. Toa Toa was in the right place; he had the right run fit, and he just got trucked. Helms. Had 12 tackles. That's truth. He also whiffed on the John Emery touchdown. Uh, Battle had seven. One of my favorite players on the defense, Jordan Battle, had seven tackles. Hard truth. He was one and a half steps shy of knocking Mason Taylor uh, out of bounds uh, short of the two-point attempt. And that would have ended the game. Alabama was up by one. That would have uh, that would have ended the game. So close is good. We can like close. Close is comfortable. Close allowed 16 points on those three plays. Branch had an electric day, but had a critical uh, pass interference. 
Uh, Eli Ricks was lights out last week against Mississippi State, but he was too hyped up or emotional or playing over his skis uh, Saturday and had a couple of pass interferences that uh, were just absolutely uncalled for. And take away, you can't, but think about it. The mental exercise, uh, take away those three pass interferences and how do those drives play out? Well, differently. Uh, maybe there's field goals instead of touchdowns. Maybe there's maybe there's no points scored. Maybe it's just more discipline to play that sort of carries over to the rest of the defense. Uh, it's certainly what this team needs and what you know coaches is after. You know, on the day, uh, the Baton Rouge uh, Police Department uh, they refused my call three times. Uh, I was calling to file a missing re- uh, missing persons report on Will Anderson. I heard that he was in the game. I couldn't find him. And then when he finally did turn up in the post-game press conference, he did have a sack on the day. Uh, we're having a little fun. But when he did show up in the post-game press conference, uh, he said that the Alabama team, the defense, was not locked in on the play calling. Well, if you've seen any of Will Anderson's interviews, that he competes with Bryce to be the nicest guy on the team, to be the friendliest guy on the team, to be the biggest leader and team supporter on the team to to have the 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 message you know to convey the message he's a leader in all of those in all of those regards so to will to almost with a, a tinge of timidity uh say that the defense was not locked in on play calling <laughs> guys that's scorched earth uh that's will's version of scorched earth that the play calling sucked uh what will won't say i'll say the defensive play calling was shitty that's interpretation for what Will said. So there you have it. Let's talk about special teams. I mean, as much as I want to say there wasn't anything special in special teams, and I mean that in all the all the right ways. You know, Will Reichert was four of four. He had a long of forty-six. And damn it, we needed every one of those points. And yes, we needed one more. Uh, he was one of one on PATs. He had thirteen points. Would have loved. Would have loved. Uh, if he were two of two on PATs with 14 points, math tells me that would have made a difference. Uh, James Burnup uh, had four punts. He averaged, or he had four punts for a buck 99, so he averaged just a hair below uh, 50 yards. He had a long of 58. I wrote down in my notes, best day. Was that his best day? Was that James Burnup's best day uh, punting for Alabama? It may well have been. Uh, now, the irony is the Alabama offense couldn't get out of their own way and was playing in the shadow of the end zone all day long. And so LSU, for the longest stretch of the game, when it was 0-0-0-0-0-0, Alabama was was continuing to lose the the, uh, uh, field position battle. And it wasn't for what Burnup was doing. It was the three and outs. It was the three and outs. We weren't gaining any yards before we punted, or barely any yards, certainly not a first down, before having to punt. And so even with Burnup putting up some really nice punts, LSU would get the ball, and they'd have five or six plays before they had the punt. And so they were moving the ball and then punting us back again and moving the ball and punting us back again. And eventually, you watch enough football, you watch enough games. The field position battle typically is going to indicate who's going to score first. And uh, it's it's not 100% accurate, but it's an indicator of who's going to score first, who's going to put points on the board. And then the team that has struggled to move the ball is now in a position to play and catch up. Well, welcome to Alabama versus LSU circa 2022. There were no kickoff returns. We jokingly say that's a stat that I like. Uh, there were no punt yard uh, returns. And uh, I, for the life of me, I don't know how that happens. We've talked about it before, but Kool-Aid was lighting it up. 
and then the spigot has run dry. Uh, Alabama's getting no uh, punt return yard, so that's interesting. All right, so let's talk about what's next. What is next? Alabama travels to Ole Miss to face, you know, the Rebels and, of course, Lane Kiffin. And I certainly think Lane uh, is licking his chops at this. I would not be surprised if the visitor locker room is not decked out like a Samsonite uh, convention, if there's not travel-sized toiletries everywhere, Con Nass magazines just all over the place. Everybody's locker gets one. Uh, he's probably going to set up a, a cute girl in a smart suit working a check-in stand. Uh, so when the players come into the locker room, they have to check in. Everything that sort of reminds them that they're on the road, right? Uh, we see a theme here. I think the Rebels look more balanced and explosive on offense than LSU, and certainly Alabama struggled with LSU. And so uh, I think there's an opportunity for Alabama to struggle um, to struggle with the Rebs. Defense, this is a game where I suspect defense will be optional, uh, but much like Alabama in Baton Rouge against LSU, uh, the tide makes for a really good guest uh, in that they put the brakes, Alabama puts the brakes on their own uh, offense. So, in other words, I'm building up to this is going to be a challenge for Alabama uh, in the Grove in Oxford next next Saturday against, uh, against Ole Miss. This team is going to have to um, sort of light a fire under its own, under its own, its own ass uh, to move forward. We talked about this team needing to get its shit straight to sort of finish out the season. Well, they didn't do it, clearly. And uh, so we need to see, you know, this team needs to recognize that, uh, you know, 10 wins used to be a given. Well, this team needs to fight to win 10 games and potentially still make a, a, a January 1 uh, bowl game. But uh, this team has a lot of work. And uh, we thought that that work needed to start Saturday <laughs> against uh, LSU. Well, we certainly need that work to start this Saturday against Ole Miss. All right. So here we go. I promised uh, some additional thoughts at the end. And so I want to pay that off this week, uh, Sunday, uh, you know, the original hot take artist, I guess, Paul Feinbaum is saying that the window on the saving saving uh, dynasty era is closing. And I mean, that's interesting, right? And so I think that makes for a lazy take uh, as much as it is tired. You know, Coach Saban is 71 years old and he's been in Tuscaloosa for 15 years. And for much of that time, if you believe, you know, the experts, uh, his window has been closing uh, for most of that 15 years. Sarcastically, you might say, hey, Paul, you're going out on a mighty thin branch there. And the thought there is, well, even to go out on a thick branch requires climbing a tree. And Paul is just dialing this one in, um, you know, from his couch. <laughs> There's really no effort on this one. Uh, you know, again, right? Saban is, is 71. We've heard this, right? Uh, but there's a counterbalance to that, right? This maybe is truth and hard truth. The hard truth is Paul might not be wrong. Now, he might not be wrong in the same way that a stopped clock is right twice a day, uh, but the dynasty window is closing. Uh, you know, Saban's 71. We've said it three times now. And perhaps even a bigger deal, changes are changes are needed. Last week, we talked about coordinator uh, changes that we're confident will happen. And I assumed, in saying that last week, I assumed the answer to what, you know, Paul and chat board warriors uh, are asking, that Saban would lead that change. And I still believe that he will, but Saban has a decision. I'm, I, I'm convinced now more than maybe I was, uh, well, certainly I was a week ago. Last week, I was confident that, you know, Saban's going to overhaul 
this team. It's going to be some portal. It's going to be um, maybe a little more fire. Maybe brings in some coaches to uh, to have some of that fire. And certainly, I think the coordinators are out. And you know, God bless them. They'll go on and do uh, great things. But uh, there's sort of an injection of, of question: Is Saban willing to do that? Does Saban want to mount up for one more uh, for one more ride? Or will he step away? Now, I'm of the opinion that Saban's going to have a last hurrah. That, and, and I think it's more than, than one season. But I think, it's a, I think it's a fair question. And, again, I think that's the decision that, that Saban needs to make here. Saban needs to decide. I'm the last one to give Saban advice, right? But here's how I envision it, right, from quite a remove. Saban has no interest in, like, a Paterno or Bowden style, you know, riding out the chain. But does Saban have, oh, I hate myself for saying this, does Saban have the resolve that it takes to do one more ride the right way? We're not talking about, you know, a ride out the chain. We're talking about like Clint Eastwood's William Money character in The Unforgiven, uh, Unforgiven. you know, proper motivation and whiskey to stir the echoes, right? Frank Sinatra, right? <laughs> I did it my way. We need one more run as sort of the son of a bitch coach that we all know and love and that we want to see again. And so it's, that's kind of the decision that, that Saban, I think, I think that Saban has to make. Is he going to plant his foot? Is he going to pound his desk? And he say, damn it, and other profanities, I'm going to do this the way that I want to do this. One more ride. Let's bring in some guys. Let's get the band back together, literally and figuratively. And I'm going to be that some bitch coach one more time. And uh, we're going to go out with another national title, maybe two. And um, we're going to kick all, all these whippersnapper asses. Uh, that's what we all want to see. We all want to see one more sort of last ride. And um, it'll be interesting to see how that has an opportunity to play out. So with that, this has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast, Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just to shout out a roll tie. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, T-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tie. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. 
easier said, done.